the paper cups inside the plastic cups. Welcome to Plastic Cups Inside Paper Cups Inside Plastic Cups. I'm Dennis Wilson, and this is... Omar Rabadi. All right. Yo, Omar, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Uh, made an impulse purchase. Bought a new guitar today. Whoa. Actually, maybe two, actually. <laughs> I'm not sure. What kind of guitars? I'm very interested now. <laughs> uh, it's a... a Abanias acoustic electric. I felt like I needed an acoustic electric. If I don't know, yeah, like, it acoustic like something electric. I need. Those are good to have. Um, I have one. I have a tachamine, but the, the versatility is is huge. Um, I believe it's Ibanez, but Ibanez. Yeah. And what's the other one? Well, so I bought the wrong Ibanez by accident. I bought one with nylon strings, so it's more of a classical guitar mm. style. Then I realized I bought the wrong one, and then I bought the right one. I tried to cancel the wrong one, but I'm not sure that worked. I tried calling and emailing and didn't get a response. So we'll see if I end up getting two instead of one. Well, you can always um, you can always resell it. Guitars hold value pretty well, so yeah, yeah, it's not the worst. And it's, the other one that was an electric acoustic with nylon strings. Yes. Oh wow! Never ever seen that. Very cool. I have some big news. I've been. Oh yeah. I'm sitting at a desk tonight. A new desk? No, just a desk. The other podcasts I've um, uh, done uh, kind of reclining in in a in my bed, and I decided I kind of set up a new recording spot. So I don't know how this is going to impact the podcast but you know it could be could be proved to be a, a good decision or it could be like when they replaced the mother on a fresh prince of bel-air it's hard to tell at this point how are you feeling right now do you feel are you feeling like the same person i feel good but i feel a little i feel like i'm a little bit more focused but i'm a little bit too focused on my computer screens because it's right in front of me so maybe i should mm. just look away yeah i'll let you know if you seem really weird and i'm like just go back to your old spot but okay I, okay i think we'll i think we'll figure it out in any case, what's today's date? Today is uh, April 22nd. April 22nd. I think it's the 36th day of the lockdown. Yeah. And do you know, uh, somebody asked me today, somebody from Boston asked me, um, I guess they just extended the, uh, they, they just decided to call the, the, the school year for his, uh, children uh, quits. And and they asked me what the uh, like, how long is Philadelphia shut down for? Do you know what the the end date is? I, I had purposely almost not. Do you mean Do you mean the school district or no, not the school district, but just in general? Is there like a is there a currently a we're going to reopen things date? Not really. I think the governor tried to cheer people up a little bit, and he said on May eighth. Some things will start to reopen in some places, but it was so hysterically limited that it's not like online car sales are reopening on May yeah, 8th. That's, that's <laughs> like I did so not much. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't I wouldn't get your hopes up any anytime soon. And Georgia looks like they're reopening. Yeah, so gotta get those tattoo parlors up. Gotta get those bad tattoos of of like I don't know, elk and skulls. Got you. Got to keep those. Keep the economy rolling. Yeah, it seems like they made a list of the things that would have the most person-to-person contact that would be <laughs> most likely to spread C nineteen, and said, "Let's open those things up first, like hairdressers, uh, massages. Those things are the first things to open back up." So, but we don't. We'll let Georgians, Georgians figure out Georgia. To, to, yeah, to each his own. So we got some big news on the plastic cups, inside paper cups, inside plastic cups, social media front to announce. We now have a Twitter feed. It's wow. at, at plastic cups 
unfortunately, it couldn't be plastic cups inside paper cups inside plastic cups. Twitter insisted it be shorter, which has been happening to us a lot. <laughs> I think SoundCloud made it shorter. Yeah. Uh, everything's made it shorter, but what are we going to do? So it's, I haven't even, it's got that new car smell. I haven't even seen the Twitter feed yet. So I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. There'll be exclusive content on there. You won't get anywhere else. You won't hear it on this podcast. <laughs> so make sure to follow us at plastic cups on Twitter. Something else I wanted to run by you now that we've done four or five episodes, has this been easier doing a podcast been easier or harder than you thought it would be? Um, I think, I think easier because, um, it, I guess partly because there's just a built in conversation starter every single time of like, what, what the hell is going on in the world today? So I feel like, I think the biggest challenge for me was like, well, what are we going to talk about? And are we going to have to like do a lot of preparation? Um, and I feel like, you know, it hasn't been as much, I thought it was going to be a heavy lift and it hasn't been as heavy of a lift um and then you know the the um the, the technical aspect of it once we figured out how to get on soundcloud and on the different platforms that that was like work for a bit but that was now it's like whatever i post on soundcloud and it goes everywhere um whether we're pod you know the, i think the, the third way to look at it is is podcast is it easy to podcast well and um i don't know that's like I, you know that's not for for me to judge but uh I think we're doing a decent job and I, I feel like, um, you know, I think, I feel like it's, it's a little bit easier than I thought. I thought there would be a lot of like, Oh, that, that didn't work out well. And it's like, no, oh, it seems to be going all right. So what do you, what do you, what's your take? I'd agree. It's been easier. Uh, I think this is why everybody has a podcast. Like there's no comedian who doesn't also have a podcast. Right. There's so many actors. So it's like, why are they also doing a podcast? And I don't want to say it's that easy. Like, it does take a little bit of work. I do kind of feel like a kid cramming for his high school test. Like, we have these discussions, text back and forth. Hey, why don't we talk about this? Why don't we talk about that? But then when it's the day of doing the podcast, I'm like, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm actually going to say about this topic. And I have to, like, cram to either learn about it if it's something you brought up or if it's something I brought up actually say, hey, wait, what do I actually have to say about this thing that three days ago I was so nonchalant about, hey, we're going to talk about this. Oh, topic. yeah, I, would, I wouldn't know that, that you, like you felt like you were scrambling because I feel like you're the one that's like really bringing a lot of stuff, like, to, like topics to the table. And I'm, I'm looking at the email that we had and we're like, I was like, there's a lot here. And, and I feel like you're looking at it like, oh, I wonder if we have enough to, to fill an episode. Um, the other thing is like, I, I, do, I think we got to get more guests. Because then, the, then you can just go on cruise control and react to what they say. Yeah, you should do some due diligence. But I felt like when we had Emma on, it was like, oh, we just, you know, we just gotta poke her and ask some questions, and we have, we have a good segment. So um, I think we gotta, we gotta ramp up our guests a bit. I think that that requires some preparation, a little coordination. So I think we gotta force her ourselves. Like yeah, yeah. Like if, if you have a guest who's an expert in something, you just kind of. You know, you want to ask, like you said, ask the right questions, but and then but let them take center stage. Let them share their knowledge and expertise. Yeah. All right. So we'll have to talk about you know offline about some some of the next guests. I had some things in mind, but all right. So so we have some mailbag. We had a lot of mailbag activity. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. So going to talk about TV shows a little bit. Uh, just pulling it up. All right. So. Jensen of Fontana wants to So know, I want to get this name right. It's Jensen of Fontana? I just threw in the of. I love oh. ofs. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, okay. Jensen of Fontana. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Jensen of Fontana. I don't think it's Johnson because it's ease. Mm -hmm. So what TV show should I watch today? Janet wants to rewatch a 70s TV series like MASH, but I don't like Alan Alda, so I need to find another show without Alan Alda. He's never funny and too cocky, like Dennis Miller. Hmm, that, so no, I'm, that part doesn't resonate with me like Dennis Miller. Eh, I mean, he's a little bit thin, and like, but 
I don't know. I, I, I don't really have an issue with Alan Alda. I don't know him from a lot besides MASH, and he was in that Louis C.K. kind of, uh, kind of play type of, type of series that he did that he distributed, and he was good in that. But um, I don't know. Do you have an issue with that? Uh, I guess that's another question. So what's your, what's your... Well, we can, we, we can talk about that. First, I like Alan Alda. My, I like the West Wing, and he came in on like the last season and played the Republican running for president. And I thought he was really good on that show. And yeah, he's, I don't see how he's like Dennis Miller either. Dennis Miller's really, really intense and Alan Alda's aloof. Yeah. But yeah, come yeah. on, Jensen. Of and if I was going I, to, I could hang out with Alan Alda for sure. Yeah. I don't think I could take two minutes with Dennis Miller. Politics aside, he just seems like a little, <laughs> little like weasel guy. Yeah. So from this email... I get the sense they haven't watched anything from the 2000s or 90s, this couple. So I don't think we have to worry about mentioning something they've already seen. I'm going to recommend for them Billions. If you don't have Showtime, subscribe to Showtime for a month. You can probably watch the whole thing in a month. It's a fun show about a federal... Billions. Billions, okay. Yeah, it's a fun show about a federal prosecutor going after uh, going after a, uh, some finance billionaire. But the twist is the prosecutor's wife works for the billionaire. That mm-hmm. creates a lot of drama. It's a fun show. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Uh, Paul Giamatti is in it. I forget. The guy who played Bro- Brody from Homeland plays the billionaire. I forget. I forget his name in Not real either. life. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I'd recommend. Jensen, if you've already seen that, let us know. We can recommend something else. Dennis, do you have a recommendation? Well, maybe I'm trying to think of something up if, if they're locked into like mash, you know, pre-Netflix era TV shows. Um, maybe go back and watch the first season of Twin Peaks if, if you haven't seen that. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot right now. I, I don't think I've been watching a lot of stuff lately. Um, uh, what, what did we watch recently? Um, all right, now I don't know. I don't have anything. So, so I'll, I'll think about it for next time. But um, take Omar's suggest- suggestion. He knows what he's talking about. And, um, you know, if you don't have show- – what you said it was on Showtime, right? Yes. Yeah, I don't, if you don't have Showtime, you know, I can give you my, my cable password. So just hit me up with the mailbag. Well, speaking speaking of TV, uh, did you watch the Michael Jordan documentary that just yes. came out? Yes, I did. It was on Sunday. Uh, they did the first two episodes uh, out of a ten part, ten episode series. Um, I yeah, I thought it was great. Um, you know, I was looking forward to it. I, I you know, particularly because um, you know I was a basketball fan for the most part between about 1991 and 98 or 91 and maybe like 97, um, you know, before I got more and more into music and stuff. Um, and that's when we were like collecting sports cards and, uh, and everything. And I was, I was a Bulls fan. So I was looking forward to it quite a bit. What about you? Yeah. So I watched it on Sunday. I was excited about it and, uh, it, it was better than I thought it was going to be, though, because I had forgotten or didn't know a lot of the drama surrounding their last season. So to give some background, the documentary is a, is a historic retrospective on Michael Jordan's career, but mostly about the sixth championship run. And I didn't realize how much drama there was surrounding it. And the filmmakers did a really good job Turning Jerry, not I shouldn't say turning Jerry Crest because I'm not saying it's unfair, but yeah. showing him as a villain, he comes across as like one of the best TV villains I've seen in real life. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say it's. Um, I didn't know about that that drama. I mean, when I watch sports, when you know, when you're a kid, you don't know, I guess, as much about. Well, it, there just wasn't that much information like there is now about what's going on behind the scenes. And especially around the co- the contracts and everything, I feel like it's just a totally different world now. But also, just being a kid, you're like, you know, you're not you're not reading the paper or whatever. 
Um, so I didn't know about all the, you know, the, the, the drama, but I do like what they, while it is about the, the last championship run, I like what they're doing with um, transposing that or the counterpart to that is Michael Jordan's up, um, rise and in, in, in the beginning of his career. And so it's uh, the drama and the, 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 the driving force is kind of like the, the immediate driving force is the current, like the, the, the last championship run. But then there's, it's, it's, you know, contrast with Jordan's rise, which I think breaks up the monotony of like just straightforward, like, you know, sequ- sequ- uh, sequential historical uh, documentary. So it's just not like, okay, I know what's going to happen next. He's going to get older and he's going to do this. It's, it's, it keeps it pretty dynamic. So I, I just from a filmmaking standpoint, I thought that was a, a good way to approach it. Yeah, if it was completely in chronological order, it would it would have less punch, I think. Yeah, so yeah. just to get yeah, to give a little bit of context to why, you know, we, we both saw Krauss as a villain in this is he wanted to break up the team after they won five championships in a row, and then did basically do that after they won the sixth championship so he could rebuild. It's absurd. And, it's yeah, absurd. It's, it's absurd. Like, rebuilding is when it's like, all right, we have this team that is, has a winning record, but we don't think it has any chance of winning a championship. And now it's time to start over because the window is closed. But you don't close the window after winning a championship. And I would even argue <laughs> if the team came close to winning a championship or has a re- is really good and could have if just a few things went differently or if they had a better piece, you don't break up the team and you definitely don't break it up after they won a championship. And it seemed like he just needed to prove that he could win a title without Jordan and Phil Jackson. And Yeah, you don't do it after you win a championship. You don't do it if you have Michael Jordan as your star player who just won the scoring title and the NBA Finals MVP. Uh, yeah, the Finals MVP. You certainly do, don't do it then. Um, I, I, you know, I think that Jerry Krause is a deserved and almost it seems like a consensus that he was, he was kind of a villain in this. Um, but you know, what is it? Jerry's Reinsdorf is the owner, right? Yeah. Your last name, right? Yeah. So, I mean, he's called, he's clearly culpable because he clearly put in, uh, Jerry Krause as his kind of his bad cop to his good cop. So they, they put a lot of it on the ego of Jerry Krause. But there's got to be something else there at play of Jer- you know Jerry Reinsdorf thinking that I can create you know what you know, what do owners want to do they want to they want to win more championships but they also want to make more money and I think that he thought that there was a maybe a path to to doing so but it just seems so absurd because I mean you literally have the the most famous basketball player of all time um, you revolutionize he revolu- like Jordan single handedly but also the Bulls you know revolutionized um, the merchandising and probably sold more merchandise than any up to that point, any sports organization or definitely NBA organization up to that point. So it's just an absolute absurdity. It's, it's inconceivable almost for all the reasons you said and, and more, it's just absurd, but that's, I guess, I don't know. That's the thing I've learned by watching basketball as an adult is there's no limit to the absurdity and, just bad decision making of decision making of uh, NBA organization owners. They just are operating by an entire different uh, set of playbook than most businesses. Yeah, yeah, and the Bulls have not won a championship since. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking at their 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 season records like the year after, um, and Scottie Pippen went on. Well, the other thing I want to mention is I did wa- grow up watching the. Um, you know, the Bulls, I was a fan of the Bulls. I, I do remember that even, the, I think, well, their first championship was in 91, right? Versus the Lakers? Or was it yes, that? 1991. Yeah. I specifically remember watching that. I don't know if you remember or have ever seen a clip of that game. But I remember they were playing the Lakers, and I don't know what game it was, but Jordan goes up, and Byron Scott comes up in his face, kind of, and he scoops his arm down and then goes around. Yeah, yeah. And, and does that thing. and. I specifically remember it was like because um, it was on Sunday night, and I remember my dad always wanted to watch at 60 Minutes, 
and we'd be trying to watch sports and he'd be like, why is the game going along? But I remember that crystal clear. And I remember as a kid for the, probably the next, you know, six years trying to replicate that move, like in the driveway, like trying to go up and then come around and scoop it up and, and throw it in. It was like, I don't know. It was just, tra- it was transfixed by that move. I think that that was one of the things that locked me in on, on Jordan as like a crazy ballet, you know, kind of phenomena. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember watching that series. That was the first year I started watching basketball. I remember Lakers was- won the f- first game of that series and then the Bulls won the next four. Yeah, and the other thing I was going to, but even though I, I was transfixed by that, I was a Scottie Pippen fan first and foremost. That was my guy. Yeah, I was a magic, I was a huge Magic Johnson fan. I, oh, really? I just the way, the way he passed, the way, for whatever reason, those no-look passes just kind of mesmerized me. Yeah, I was, I was a Pippen fan. I like, you know, the scrappiness, the defense. Um, the, he was kind of all around player. For some, some reason, the utilitarian player always appeals to me. That plays all, you know, can play all positions, can guard up, you know, most other positions. Um, and I think the also, um, maybe the leading reason was I got a, we had a, a, when we were growing up, there was a champion outlet, um, you know, where you'd get, you could get champion gear. Yep. I guess that's when, you know, champion, you had the contract for the NBA jerseys. And I found one of, you know, got one of those there. I say found because it was like, you get whatever's in the bin. It's like, like 10% of cost. Um, and so I got a Pippin jersey. I think that like sealed it for me. I was like, all right, that's my guy. Do you still have the Pippin jersey? Um, I have the Pippin jersey. And then I have a new Pippin jersey that, that our friend Morris Bankston bought me, I think for my birthday, like like four or five years ago. Um, it's it's absurdly large. So I think it's- Does more, the old one still fit? No, the old one is, I don't know. It's it, that, The old one might be at my parents' house. I'd have to, I'd have to look around. Um, it probably didn't fit, you know, I used to wear big clothes. It was the 90s, so I wore baggy clothes. But um, but Morris bought me a a, a new Pippin uh, jersey. It's absurdly big, so I don't I don't think I could ever wear it. I don't know where I would wear a jersey. Um, but I, it'd be something I, I plan to, like, you know, re- you know I had a, a man cave basement type of setup. I'll, I'll frame it and retire Pippin's jersey in the, in the basement. Cool, cool. Uh, before before I forget, listeners, please don't don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We'd love to get a five star review from you. If you do leave us a five star review, you'll be entered into a contest to win pickles from Dennis, the next yeah. pickle maker. Who knows what kind of weird pickles might be in there? Yeah, you you just name the uh, vegetable and I'll pickle it. No candy, no Jolly Ranchers. No, no, no. That's not how it works. We talked about that. <laughs> All right. Are you ready for our quote of the week? Sure. Yeah. What is it? Oh, yeah. You showed it to me. So just run it, run through it. Yeah. So. All right. So this is from Percy Shelley. The worst mistake we ever made was the separation of political science from ethics. So do you have like an instant gut reaction to that? Uh, yeah, I, I just, um, I, I didn't know how to take it, whether it was like super literal, literal, like there was like an actual decision or a schism within those. Like an early Congress. Well, um, just kind of like the, you know, the, the, the Catholic church, right. You know, like, was there a definitely like a way of thinking where those things were, combined and somebody's like there was like no these need to be separated or we need like they just or was it just is it is it meant to be more ironic that because it seems unreasonable that somebody would say oh yeah like let's separate political science and and ethics i don't i don't get it i guess yeah so i don't i don't think it was meant literally like at some point the two were separated but i think what he means by it is that they're separated in practice uh, so I'll give a little bit of context about him. He was an English poet and thinker who lived in the early 1800s. He died, I think, in 1820. He was ahead of his time with ideas like civil rights and anti-colonialism. Uh, 
for example, he was all about, you know, giving Ireland back to the Irish, which did not make him very popular. He was English, did not make him very popular in England. And so the way I interpret the quote is, And one of the, I guess the way I interpret the quote is that we celebrate the leaders who have the biggest impact on history as opposed to those who behave ethically. I don't know if that's how we yeah. meant it, but. Well, I guess I was thrown by the word like mistake as if it was like something that was done and then we look back and now like we were like, oh, let's separate these things. So I guess. But so I do take it then, if, if, if it's not intended that way, then it is a bit tongue-in-cheek. Tongue um, I don't know. I think it's a bit, uh, I don't know, like naive to suggest that they were ever <laughs> so tightly integrated or, that other, or the opposite, that they're so divorced. It's like, you know, it's, politics has, I think, always been a, a dirty game. And this... You know, this notion that there was a time when there was lockstep political, you know, movements and ethics. I don't know. It just seems a little bit like idealistic to me, I guess. So um, it's always, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's always going to be a race to the bottom. You know, it's like what's the, or, or the lesser of two evils. That's the way I look at it when it comes to politics. Cause you're trying, you can't, you can only please one person a hundred percent. So it's, it's, as you expand it to multiple people, then you're going to lose some of what one person thinks is ethics is what one person thinks is non-ethical. So I don't know. It seems naive and a little bit phony to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't I don't think he I don't think he intended that at one point there was like a conscious, deliberate decision to separate them. I don't think no, I understand that. I've I've moved past that. It. I've moved past that, but I'm saying his sentiment still, I think, is a bit, you know, I don't, I don't think there ever was a time that it was integrated, so I think it's a little goofy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And with that, we'd like to take a little break from the show. That was Wolves by Phosphorescent. Now back to the show. 
Uh, yeah. So the the other thing, I, well, the topic I wanted to go into was um, these tuberculosis sanitariums, um, sp specifically the tuberculosis sanitariums of the Adirondacks, which are uh, for the unindoctrinated uh, in, in upstate New York. Um, so I'm. Omar, I'm guessing you probably didn't hear, you've never heard of these before. I sent you a couple of links on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I stumbled, I kind of stumbled upon this. I, 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 the weird thing is I, I was actually acutely aware of that these existed in some fa fashion, but I wasn't actually like, you know, um, pursuing it. I was, I was thinking about like what's going on in the world in terms of the pandemic. And obviously, air travel and international air travel, especially, is going to be restricted for some time. And, you know, I think that people are going to be looking to, um, you know, to travel, but more locally uh, in, the, in the short term, at least. And so I started, like, researching, um, you know, back before air travel was, like, super common um, or even existed, uh, you know, people obviously took their vacations, you know, within the continental United States. And you know, that's why you have like Coney Island in New York City used to be like a very popular way to get away and whatnot. So I was reading about, you know, I knew that back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that like the upstate New York was a big vacation area for a lot of the um, presidents, um, like I think Theodore Roosevelt and others had like these big, uh, big camps up in the upstate New York. So I, I was researching that and I came across like this article, I think first on Wikipedia about these, the Adirondack Cottage Sanatorium, sanitarium, which was based up in Saranac Lake. So I uh, did a little bit of research on them and the idea, you know, the idea behind it was, or the, the, the kind of the, the, the motivating force behind this was this guy named Edward Livingston Trudeau. Um, and he was um, came from a like a medical uh, family, uh, but his brother he uh, he was uh, this guy was born in like 1840s, and his brother uh, when he was a teen he like got tuberculosis, and this guy you know kind of nurse, nursed him until his death, and so uh, later on after he was in med school he went to like Columbia University and um, got tuberculosis himself. And so to, to treat himself, he went up into the Adirondack Mountains and, uh, you know, in, in order to seek uh, fresh air. Um, at the time, they didn't know what the, you know, what the cause of tuberculosis was. It was believed to be hereditary. Um, and so, uh, you know, he treated, you know, bed rest and, and fresh air and got better and then decided to create a, um, you know, a, a treatment center basically up in Saranac Lake uh, to treat tuberculosis. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the rundown on, you know, that's the kind of the, the first rundown on it. Um, it. You have some familiarity with Saranac Lake, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where we, we went for your bachelor party, right? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful there. So, so you said diseases. they didn't know they didn't know then what caused tuberculosis, but did they know that it spread like through the air, like kind of the same way? Well, they didn't know until um, the late 1800s. I, I have a, a date here, 1882. They didn't know it was communicable, like that you could catch it from other people. And so that's once they knew that, that's when they started doing these things as basically social distancing measures right and was one person was there like one person per house or floor or how socially distant were people um well this this um sanitarium was a large building but i'm not sure what like the specifications within that building was per se but there was these um and then there was this offshoot of like other cottages. So like there was a lot of uh, these cure cottages, they were called. Um, and with a lot, they had often had uh, these outdoor or open porches where people would spend time um, during the day getting fresh air. I'm not sure exactly, you know, space in between everybody, but th yeah, the idea was there 
socially distancing, they're being essentially quarantined, but they're also getting lots of fresh air and lots of bed rest. And was this, was this considered at the time, or not at the time, was this considered looking back an effective treatment considering what we know now, or was this counterproductive or somewhere in between the two? I actually think it's, you know, it's, they didn't discover that, um, well, they didn't discover it was contagious in, in, until 1882, and at that point there was a, uh, a, a major public health movement to stop the spread. And I, I came across this other article, and I'll, I'll get into more detail on um, on that one. But it's about um, you know, there's a poster on there that says, uh, "Let me read it." It says the big caps. It says, "Don't spit," and then it's like three big hands pointing at this dude on the sidewalk, saying, "Spitting spreads tuberculosis." Um, so there was an understanding that it, you know, if it's contagious, you have to like be more hygienic. And you have to socially distance. So, you know, it, until you have, especially until you have a treatment, right? Like socially distancing is an effective um, uh, treatment for it um, until you have like a, 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 a an actual drug or something. And then eventually, I guess in the uh, 1850s, I believe, when they developed an antibiotic to treat it, there was really no other no other way. And that's why tuberculosis spread so much. It's associated with you know. Um, like Dickens novels and and um, you know the the well, I forget the the poor sections of like near you know, Manhattan back in back in the early 1900s because um, it was spread by cl people in close quarters and with less you know hygienic opportunities. Um, so uh, yeah, I think you know I don't know how much quote unquote fresh air, but it helps. But I think it, it helps to the degree it's better than if you're living in a city with um, air with lots of, you know, smog or particles or whatnot. So I think I, I, by and large, it's actually, you know, just the basics of uh, if it's contagious, you got to separate. And, um, and, and if you don't have a treatment, that's basically your only treatment. If you don't have a drug treatment, that's your only treatment. Yeah. So um, the other thing I was going to, so the other reason, like, I, I kind of knew about bees was that, like, where my mother grew up um, as a child, just up the street or up the road um, from where she lived, there was one of these. I guess I guess I knew that um, all, you know, like, I knew that growing up that there was, it didn't exist, that this, this hospital was, you know, in existence from 1911 through you know, like the 20s or early 30s um, as a tuberculosis uh, hospital. But um, so like when she was growing up, it was it was a, basically abandoned. But like she would tell me stories about like they would go up and play in the ruins of the, the tuberculosis sanatorium. So last thing on this was, I don't know, I was reading, there's this really good article from the, the Fulton County uh, historian, which is, is around where I grew up, um, but they were talking about, yeah, it was, you know, like we talk about like treatment, like, and, and whether it was effective, the, you know, there was a, what I found interesting in this article was that um, they, they kind of, there was a fire there and they kind of like downgraded the, the, the you know, how many people they would treat. And then there was like an upsurge in the now of, you know, deaths from tuberculosis in the region. And so then they had a, a big debate about like kind of re-upping and refunding that. Um, but, you know, so that because they realized that there was, you know, it was effective and then it wasn't there and then it became more you know, needed by the community. Um, but there was an interesting excerpt not related to that that I thought, um, was interesting, if you'll bear with me and allow me to find and then read. So what do, while you're looking for that, what do these buildings look like? Do they just look like a regular house, like an uh, apartment building? Well, there's the actual sanitariums, which, you know, the, the original one in, um, the ones in Saranac Lake look more like large houses or from large houses to, to cottages. I think we actually drove by by them at, at one point when we were up there uh, this past summer. 
Um, so they, the ones in Saranac Lake don't look like hospitals per se. Um, but the one, you know, I've seen pictures of the one in where, near where my mother grew up. And um, it looks like, you know, it looks like a hospital but in the middle of the woods, at least from like decrepit ruins, like pictures of the ruins, you know. Um, but then there was a whole um, like subset of these cure, what I refer to as cure cottages, where people kind of like were kind of riding the trend of Saranac being recognized as a place where you could cure this. And so if somebody like had an extra house or, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, a, a guest house or something, they would, they would make that available. Um, and Saranac, it sounds like Saranac, uh, like the town of Saranac actually grew based on this because once they real, like once everybody realized it was contagious, some, some communities would turn away people that were, they called consumptives because it was called consumption at the time. And so they actually grew exponentially because, uh, they were basically like kind of it was almost like a, like a combination of like medical care and like almost like tourism in a way because they became recognized as a, as a treatment center. Like people, I was reading that, um, you know, like the um, uh, like employees from the Dow from Dow Chemical would be they would send like people who got came down with tuberculosis they would send them up here. The you know like uh, the editor of the Atlantic Monthly back in the. 19, people who with means would send people up there to be treated. Yeah, so let me, this one, this one thing um, I thought was cool or interesting, I guess. Um, so because of the contagious nature of the disease, TB was a concern for the entire community. Not only was sanitation and prevention an issue, but citizens also helped in other ways by donating needs, uh, needed items and providing entertainment for the patients. The Fulton County Tuberculosis and Health uh, Committee was created and met monthly. Along with fundraising, the group also collected donations for patients at Summit View. In the winter of 1926-27, they secured sweaters and other articles of clothing, as well as 42 storybooks, 18 Quran books, and 14 boxes Korans, according to the Morning Herald. Uh, the Glottersville High School Ensemble Club presented musical entertainment for patients in the spring of 1923 and plan to do so every other week. Um, so I don't know, I thought that was like, I don't know, the, the level of detail I thought was just curious and, 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 and kind of fun. But I guess the, the, the degree of like, like local, like rallying around this cause and, and addressing it, I thought was, you know, interesting and I guess kind of indicative of what's, or maybe not, perhaps like foreshadowing what uh, may happen with what's going on now. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I just had a picture in my head of kids drawing and, you know, playing instruments and finding ways to entertain them. So I think we talked about this last week. You know, we jokingly, I think I jokingly said, you know, what did they do in 1918 when they couldn't leave the house? But they probably had more to do, you know, than we imagined, kind of like what was just described. There were, you know, there are things that can be pursued that don't involve electronics. And I think sometimes we forget that. And, you know, what right. you just read was a good reminder of that. Yeah. And I think I, I think I said the same thing as like, they were basically um, not doing anything, but yeah, that's definitely not true. Um, I don't know. I guess also it could it, it be uh, um, a telltale, uh, telltale sign. I don't know if I'm using that correctly, but um, in terms of, you know, as the, as the, balance shifts between, you know, if we know more about how many people have been infected with like COVID, that if you shift from everybody being quarantined to being just people um, that haven't been or are high risk, you know, like, sorry, if you, as you shift and, and they are able to put like certain people that are, you know, are, are infected. The only thing with the difference is with uh, tuberculosis is it was, I, I believe the like incubation of, and the period between when you catch it and to when you display um, very visible symptoms was very short. So um, also far more deadly too, but it was like, it was a lot more apparent when somebody had it. So I think it became, it was more recognizable. So it's obviously different, but I don't know. I think there could be some threads that are similar to what could be in our future. 
Yeah, and I think I read today that a million people a year still die from tuberculosis, mostly almost all in the developing world. But it's not something that's completely gone away, unfortunately. And uh, right, yeah. And there's there's multiple. Uh, yeah, I, I did some Wikipedia research, but yeah, it's it's definitely not gone. There's different strands strand, strains of it, but but yeah, it's 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 still targeting people. Um, you know that maybe not be knowledgeable knowledgeable how it's transferred or some factors of hygiene, but also close proximity and stuff like that. Yeah, so it's definitely, yeah, still a factor. Still definitely a dangerous disease. Yeah, yeah. So do we, uh, do we have anything to cheer people up with before <laughs> ending the program? Um, yeah, we got to find something. Um, because you can't, we, we have to make a pact not to end um, a podcast on, on death and destruction and disease. Um, <laughs> oh, so I, you had a quote, um, and I was debating whether like to tell you, uh, like, well, I didn't really, I didn't have a lot of, um, or I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about what my quote was. So I was like debating like, oh, is this one good enough? So I'll just throw it out there cause it's kind of fun. And it's, it's more of a song lyric than a quote, but I've always, I don't know, for some reason it resonated with me. Um, and it's, um, Opinions were like kittens. I was giving them away. Um, and it's from, Who's that by? Uh, by Isaac Brock from Modest Mouse. Opinions are like kittens. I give them away. Yeah, the, the actual uh, quote is, opinions were like kittens. I was giving them away. Okay, so I guess he's saying... He, is he saying he's sharing his knowledge freely? and generously, or is he saying he's kind of just saying things without that much thought? Yeah, I think it's the latter, because it's it's a song, what's the song? Um, Out of Gas, and it's a very minimal, in terms of lyrics, it's very minimal, and it seems to be about him drinking. <laughs> you know, I had a drink the other day, I had a lot to say. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's about just generally like, um, especially when you drink, you offer a lot more opinion, you know, like just we all offer, uh, opinions more freely. Um, but yeah, I think the idea is like, you just like sometimes opinion, not that you should just throw your, your kittens, uh, by the wayside, but like, that's how kittens, that's the, I think the point is, yeah, they're just like, he's just like tossing them, tossing them off. Like they're nothing. Um, so I don't know. I always, for some reason that always, that always comes back to me. Uh, more than you know, many lyrics because you know sometimes you get hung up on what other people had to say, and it's just like you know, <laughs> it's just it's just their opinion. It's just like your opinion, dude. And they might not have given it that much thought before they said it, and they might two days later uh, renounce it. Yeah, you, know, you, you might spend a lot of time thinking about it and being like, oh, God, you know, like, uh, uh, what, what should I do about that? And how, you know, I don't think that person should think that way or I disagree. And then you realize that person was just like tossing it off. And it's like, yeah, I meant, I meant it more so like if somebody says something that stings you oh, and then yeah. you're kind of like, but then you realize, wait, maybe they, they didn't think it through or they didn't even mean it. But it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, when I was younger, I used to read lyric books more than I do now, and I'd see singers, like, contradict themselves from, like, mm -hmm. one album to the next and one song to another, and it would sort of annoy me. But, you know, then you, when you th think about it, like, they got to make these songs rhyme and flow, and not that they don't mean anything they're saying, but they're probably not worried about expressing a consistent worldview as much as 13-year-old me wanted them to. Right. Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. And also, I think this this could open a whole other can of worms for another episode. But like the you know, uh, especially I think musicians write depending who they are, but they write from a lot of different points of view. So there's not necessarily a, like some artists. I feel like have a lot of coherence to like Bruce Springsteen. I feel like there's it's coherent, you know. Whereas you could take somebody else like David Bowie, and it's like his entire work is like pretty 
incoherent from a lyrical standpoint. Right. Some some of the songs might be from the point of view of a fictional character. Right. So we shouldn't yeah. Yeah. always assume that, you know, the singer is singing about himself. Yeah, and with Bruce Springsteen, it's like, I feel like even with that situation, um, he makes it very clear that, like, this is a character that I'm, you know, it's like Johnny 99, you know, from Nebraska, one of my uh, new yeah. favorite new albums. Um, like, that it's, you know, it's very clear that he's putting on a costume, whereas some people write from, like, a deviant perspective without necessarily acknowledging it, which I think is, both of them hold, you know, like, I think are intriguing different ways yeah yeah i agree so uh i think that's okay. a good place, good that's, place a, that's a better stop. spot that's a better spot yeah i think we cheered everybody up <laughs> yeah all right so until next time thanks again for listening the plastic cups. cups inside paper cups and plastic cups peace out everyone later when this world starts getting me down and people are just too much for me to face I climb way up to the top of the stair And all my cares just drift right into space On the roof is peaceful as can be And Fresh and sweet Up on the roof I get away from the hustling crowd And all that rat race noise Down in the street Up on the roof On the roof The only place I know Where you just have to wish to make it so Dab in the middle of town I found a paradise As trouble grew And if this world starts getting you down There's room enough for two Up on the roof Up on the roof Up on the roof